Great. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back in the pulpit teaching on teaching Sunday morning. Uh, well needed break from formal ministry. Same way, though, I'm glad to be back. Uh, my heart of just gratitude and thanks goes out to uh, Bob for just pulling a lot of slack, uh, just covering for me for the past month. And um, just deep gratitude to Pastors Marcus and Jason and Joshua for teaching the Word of God so faithfully in the past several weeks. Um, my wife and I, our hearts were so encouraged to come and just worship, to pray, and have the Word pierce our hearts. We you men for our teaching um, the Word of God. Thank you for teaching me the Word of God. So here we are back in Titus chapter 2. Continuing our study on right life, we have uh, initiated this study because we spent nine weeks on the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, and to balance that out, we tackled Titus 2, so that we might look at uh, the fundamental um, attitudes, uh, characteristics of right life, looking at older men, older women, Younger men, younger women, we'll look at pastors, and we'll close our time with studying slaves, for our context, employees, workers in the world. Now we are at the part of older women. Pastor Joshua did a great job of teaching us about older women, how they are to be lovers of their husbands and lovers of children, and we'll continue our study um, in verses 3 and 4. Just a quick background once again. Older men, older women, they hand in hand. They are so important in the life of the church. Their conduct, their example is so crucial. I am not overstating it when I say that the health and vitality of a local church is directly tied to the health and vitality of the older men and older women of that particular church. If any church has older men who are ungodly, wavering in their faith, live compromised lives, are flaky, the future is assured. Likewise with older women. If any church has older women who are uncommitted, unfaithful, ungodly, then the future of the church is also set. It is so important that older women as Marcus said, are reverent in their behavior. They are priest-like. They are, above all, holy women. Now, there are so many reasons. And foremost is that the ministry of teaching and training younger women has been given to you. So I'm speaking to the older women of Cornerstone. Right, for the men, it's 29. For the women, about 21. How's that? Okay, about 23 or 24. Right? I would say if you're older, 14, 24 years old, we would consider you as an older woman here at Cornerstone. And it is vital that you are a godly woman because the ministry of teaching younger women has been given to you. To teach Carol and Lindsay and up has been given to you. That ministry has not been given to older men. Not to younger men. Not even to pastors and elders of the church. God in His wisdom did not entrust us with this responsibility. We see such God in this. 
As Pastor Joshua said, the ministry of teaching younger women, it's, it's relational. It's based on a relationship. And you would agree, it's improper. It's not right that an older man has a relationship with a younger woman. Especially if she is single. It is not fitting. It is not right. It is not proper. I often see the site at It's a Grind Coffee House in La Habra. Go there to study quite often. And you see, I've seen in the Korean congregation, a pastor sitting around, sitting with four to ten women doing Bible study. So these women are obviously housewives. Their husbands are working. So this pastor is discipling and teaching all these women, spending hours there. I'm sure talking about the Bible, but talking about all sorts of things. Laughing and having coffee and eating with one another. And I see that. And just as a man, if I was a husband to one of these women, I would be angry. I'd be very upset. And at the very least, I would say, that is improper. That is not right. And it's not just my view. That's what the Bible says. Titus, it is not your job to teach the younger women. Don't have any discipleship, mentorship relationships with younger women. That's not what God wants from you. What God is asking you to do, Titus, is to encourage the older women to in turn teach and train the younger women. The younger women are outside your reach. They're not, in, in, in a sense, not under your direct ministry. They're under the direct ministry of the older women of the church. Not only is it biblical, but we can see the wisdom of that. It's so, it's so prisonate. I mean, all of understand. I, that makes sense. Because as a man, whether as a pastor, an elder, or as a teacher, we cannot teach you because we are men, right? We don't understand women. We can't, we don't have your experiences. We can't model right life to you. Because, I mean, not only we don't understand, we just can't model what it's like to love your husband. We can't model loving children. We can't model submitting to your husbands. These things are impossible for us. See, right doctrine can be taught from a pulpit, in a classroom, through a book. But right life is more caught than taught. Right? It's hard to learn right life, right living, right behavior, right conduct through a book, through a song. Right life needs to be passed down. It needs to be observed. It needs to be seen. It needs to be experienced firsthand. So I can't model to you being a worker at home, being diligent at home. I can't model to you what it's like to be a good helper to a husband or to rightly love children. It is so right that God has given this responsibility to older women because they are uniquely qualified to teach younger women because they're living, they're called to live this life. They're ministering out of the overflow of their lives. They're not just passing down information. They're living it. And so it's natural for them 
to pass this down as well. Another reason why the ministry of younger women is given to older women, why it's so right, why it's biblical, why it's so wise. And I'm going to get into trouble here, right? So I'm going to get into trouble. But I've said it before, and no one threw anything at me, so I'll say it again. It is so difficult to shepherd younger women. It is so difficult. You know, when I had Elizabeth, I thought, great, daughter, it's going to be easy. And so many parents came up to us and said, you know, I have a boy and a girl, and it's so much harder raising a girl. I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. I always thought raising boys is much more difficult because they're always jumping off things. They're running into things, right? They're always like making a mess. Girls are, you you know, pretty and they're nice and chicken tea and it's easy the boys are hard and all these parents are saying our boys are easy it's the girls that are hard and you know what raising Elizabeth for five years now almost five years and ministering here I would say it's true it's much harder raising a girl at home and ministering and shepherding and leading women in the church I mean just so many reasons I mean, first of all, just because women are so complex. You know, men are straightforward. Men are easy. Look at Titus 2. There are seven commands to women. For young men, how many commands are there? Just one. Right? Very simple, eh? Tell these guys to control themselves. Right? To discipline themselves, period. That's it. For women, there are seven different categories of instructions. Women are so complicated. For men, it's a foreign language. It's like, as I said before, studying the book of Revelation. It really is. It's so difficult. You know, at my household, it's so easy to make me happy. Right? You just make me Korean barbecue. I'm happy, period. Every day, you make that for me, I'm happy. My wife, I thought flowers made her happy, so I bring her flowers, she's happy. One day I bring her flowers, and she's not happy. What's going on, Serena? I brought flowers, you should be happy. And she's like, well, like, it doesn't always make me happy. Okay, I want to make you happy. What will make you happy? It's always changing. Every time it's different. Okay, well, tell me what you want, and I'll, you want dark chocolate, you want a foot massage? What is it? I want to make you happy today. She's like, James, I don't even know what's going to make me happy. You got to figure out how to make me happy, then I'll be happy. And it's always changing. I left the room. I mean, women are just so complicating. Complex. Men are simple. So shepherding women makes it a great challenge. Not only that, women... Struggle with pride. Temptation to women is just to be proud. Right? I would say women struggle with anger much more than men. Right? Men struggle with anger. They get angry. They're over it. Women struggle with this brewing, long-term, fiery anger that lasts days, weeks, months. Years. Right? You've gone to high right? You've experienced like girls who are angry at others. I mean, it goes like, she said this to me. Uh, You're 35. <laughs> What's going on? But see, women remember. They get angry and 
A guy is like, oh, he hit me yesterday, but today we're all good. You know, we played ball and we're, we're happy. We're friends now, right? I mean, women struggle so much, tempted with pride. I see that in Elizabeth. Young, young girl. I think girls, because they, they are prone to doing the right thing, like the Pharisees, they take pride in their accomplishments. A lot of it is just even spiritual pride. They, they hate to be wrong. They struggle to say, forgive me. I'm sorry. It's me. Boys, it's easier. Right, boys? Just kind of <laughs> shake them up, you know, yell at them, and they are set straight. Girls, it's so much more difficult. Not only that, they struggle with being stubborn. They're so right in their own eyes. They're set in a mindset and they won't budge. You know, I've encountered so many women just strong. They're set in their ways. They will not budge. They cannot be reasoned with. They cannot be uh, just reasoned with. They cannot be shepherded. Their hearts are so set, they won't move. So, you know, a guy, if a guy is stubborn like that, I would say most guys are cornerstone. You guys aren't shepherded. You know, we'll talk to you one-on-one and, right? We'll talk to you. And usually, it's good. Women, it's just, it's just very difficult. I'll just leave it at that. It's more difficult to reason with some women because women can be very hypersensitive, right? So it's an awful combination, isn't it? Pride, stubborn, and hypersensitive, right? So you're trying to shepherd them and you just say a couple things wrong and you've offended them, they're hurt, and you have no idea. You know, boys will react emotionally. Girls, they'll hide it. They'll hold it to themselves. They've closed their hearts to you. And they're deeply offended. Another is, um, they struggle with being poor listeners. Being poor listeners. I don't think I've ever, I've rarely had a guy finish my sentences, right? I rarely have guys, I mean, maybe I'm thinking personally here, you know, that's all my experience, what can I do, right? But my experience is, not scripture, my experience is, guys rarely interrupt me when I'm talking. But I've had women, you know, interrupt and finish my sentences and just ask questions and answer the questions uh, themselves. And so they're poor listeners and they like to speak. And women have a temptation to be independent. Independent. They, don't, they rebel against authority. Rebel against shepherding and covering. I know why. I know it's because many of you have had passive fathers. You've been disappointed at home. Your dad doesn't lead you, cover over you, or shepherd you. And you've had... Um, many brothers or many not brothers <laughs> you have, you've had boyfriends in your past made promises to you and hurt you disappoint you maybe you have a husband disappoints you constantly and so your internal monologue is I can't depend on men I can't trust men they're unreliable they're selfish they're so, it's all true right? it's all true they only care about themselves. So, therefore, conclusion, I gotta watch out for myself. I gotta lead myself. I can't 
depend on anyone, listen to any man, I can listen to myself. Uh, we see a parallel like this in the foster care system. These kids who've been moved around foster homes so many times, they become institutionalized. And at the age of 12, you can, you can, you can uh, decline to be adopted. There's all these 12, 13-year-olds who finally find a, fam- a loving family who wants to adopt them, and they say, I don't want to be adopted. I don't want to believe. I don't want to trust. I don't want to love. I want to be independent. They become institutionalized. But we see that in some women as well. Final reason, I guess, is especially single women. It's hard to shepherd, minister, lead, and teach you because we don't have direct access to you. As a pastor, as an elder, I so much want to shepherd, but I can't. The men I have direct access to, the husbands we do, wives, if there are some wives, there's a wife that's unruly, that's live in a manner unworthy, we'll talk husbands, and we have. You need to shepherd your family. You need to provide more leadership at home. You need to wash your wife with the water of God's word. But with single women, we don't have an angle. We don't have a way in to shepherd, shepherd you. So it becomes, it is a difficult thing, a challenging thing. So that is why it's so wise. Older women are able to minister to younger women. They have the experience because they've traveled down that road. They understand all the temptations that line the path of, of a young woman growing up. And they've been entrusted by God, through the Word of God, to minister to younger women. So as an elder and pastor of this church, I humbly plead with men of this church. There's a desperate need, so we call out to you. We ask for your help. We ask the older women of this church to set aside pursuit of this world. I know if you give your time to some company, they'll give you a lot of money. I know if you give your time to some organization in the world, you'll get a lot of applause, a lot of recognition. I know if you pursue the world, they'll shower you with material things. We can't offer any of these things. But we ask you to set aside pursuit of worldly things and to prioritize this church, your church, Christ's church. We ask you to prioritize your family, but not to idolize it. We ask you to love your husband, but not as an unbeliever. We ask you to love your husband as a believer, meaning hate him in light of the gospel. We ask you to love your children, but not be child-centered. Not to idolize your children, but love light of eternity. We ask you, because we are a young church, to do something that is very difficult, if not impossible. We're asking you to pull double duty. Pull double duty. See, older women, I believe in Titus's context, were women who, were, who had grown children, possibly had children who had left the home. And that would be ideal. 
to have older women in our congregation who have more free time, more energy and strength because they don't have this involved ministry at home taking care for young children. But by God's sovereignty, we have very few of such women here at Cornerstone. A great majority of older women of our church, I know you're so busy. I see it in my own house. You've got infants and toddlers running around. You've got major needs at home. And I understand that's your priority. We want to set you free to do that. But at the same time, who will do the ministry of young? Who will burden, teach, and train our dear sisters in Christ? If you don't, we can't. So they're up to themselves, left to themselves. And yes, there are many you know, resources for them. They have Christian books, Christian websites, my sermon audio, but the responsibility is ours. They can get supplemental help outside Cornerstone, but their main meal of teaching, instruction, training, discipleship must come from our church. So on behalf of the pastors and elders and flock shepherds, we ask the older women to pull double duty, stretch yourselves. We're praying for you. Stretch yourselves for our, our young women. One exhortation, a lot of that to our younger women. I would exhort you to humble yourselves before older women of this church. Humble yourselves. Who put tasso under them? Stand under them. Line up under them. Line up below them. Humble yourselves and incline your heart towards them. And open your heart to them to learn. You know, sometimes my children listen to me more than my mom, more than my wife, their mom. The, their attitude is, I listen to daddy. I listen more to daddy. I add extra spice in my discipline when, I, when they do this. When they don't respect my wife, their mom, they don't honor her and submit to her because she's a woman, because she's weaker, I give them I add extra spice in my discipline when I discipline them. Because that is not right. Honoring me means honoring their mom. Right. Likewise, you are honoring Christ and Christ's leaders when you honor older women in your midst and you observe their conduct, their way of life, their modeling, their example, their instruction, and you become trained by them. Trained by them. First Timothy 5 says, treat older women as mothers. Right? Treat older women as mothers. So, as all intents and purposes in Cornerstone, older women are your moms, are your mothers. Now, one more before we go on to the actual um, teaching on sensibility and purity. Um, speak briefly on the biblical method by which older women are to train younger women. The biblical method. Older women are to train younger women not by shame, not by coercion, not by manipulation, 
not by social pressure, not by gossip or slander, not through flattery. These are all unbiblical means of trying to get others to conform to a certain way of life. All unbiblical. These are wood, hay, straw that will burn up if we go this path. You know, I know women, this is like women of the world. This is their uh, philosophy of, of influencing others, but not Christian women. The biblical way by which we encourage younger women, where you encourage younger women, is by teaching what is good. Teaching what is good. Look at verse 2. Teach what is good. Verse 3 actually. The compound word. And the good there is not agathos, the idea of trin, idea of objective truth. The Greek word there for good is kalos. Subjective good, beautiful, valuable, noble. You are to train younger women by way of teaching the truth. But not just in a formal way. It's not just through Bible study. It's not just through second hour formal instruction. But you are to teach by making it beautiful. How do you do that? By using every opportunity in life to teach younger women. By showing them the beauty of the Christian life as an older woman. By inviting them to your home. Having them see your life. Having them observe your interaction with your husband, with your children, having them you know, cleaning the house with you, right? You know, preparing meals together, doing kind and good deeds together, right? allowing them to see objectively your life, your strengths and weaknesses, your successes and failures, by opening up your life and helping them to see and using that opportunity to teach Christian truths that is how you are to train younger women train younger women by modeling it by modeling it well let's go to the first two or the next two Pastor Joshua covered uh, loving husbands and loving children next one is Sensible or self-controlled. Verse 3. New American Standard says sensible. New King James Version says discreet. It's that Greek word again, sophron. Sophron. Having a sound or healthy mind. It's that having that ability to curb desires and impulses so that it produces an orderly, self-controlled life. It is a very important word in the New Testament denoting spiritual maturity. This word is used to describe mature men and women. It is a character trait that must be present in church leaders. 1 Timothy 3.2 Now the overseer must be and trait after trait after trait above reproach husband of but one wife temperate and self-controlled sophron same word is found in Titus 1.8 an overseer as God's steward must be self-controlled 
same word is found in Titus 2.2 characterizing older women verse 6 younger men repeat it again and again so many English words are used can be used to translate this Greek word I mean, we talked about two weeks ago sensible discreet self-controlled sober-minded prudent modest some definitions more definitions they're wise in handling practical matters they're able to exercise good judgment or common sense good judgment and common sense they're careful about one's conduct they exhibit good sense that's a sensible person a reasonable person they're self-controlled in terms of their emotions their desires and their actions they're in control their emotions are not out of control their desires are not out of control they're within the control of the Holy Spirit they're devoid of frivolity excess exaggeration they are marked by unity gravity and seriousness restraint older women need to teach and train younger women love their husbands love their children and to be self-controlled to be sensible now I can't apply this in all the ways that it can be applied especially for women I leave this ministry to the older women of the church and to the women that are in your lives and you know in their lives oh this sister is not modest in this area She's not prudent. She's not sensible in her finances, in her emotions, in her decisions, in her relationships, in her conduct, in her relationships. She's out of line. There's so many ways, areas where this uh, is applicable. But for our remaining time, let's focus on one. Men being sensible in their pursuit of beauty in their pursuit of beauty. Turn with me to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. We're in a culture that is obsessed with external beauty. Obsessed with it. Over the last eight years, cosmetic surgery has increased among women by a dramatic 165%. Top five surgeries for women are liposuction, breast augmentation, eyelid surgery, facelift, and the tummy tuck. This begs the question, why? Why are women so obsessed with external beauty? Why would women go to such extremes to be beautiful as defined by our culture? The fundamental reason is idolatry sin evil desire that's the fundamental answer sin in our flesh the practical answer is that to differing degrees women have been deceived they've been lied to and they've bought the lie they've been deceived that physical beauty will bring happiness satisfaction and recognition 
they believe these lies. They believe that if you're beautiful, you'll be happy, successful. If you're beautiful, if you lose weight, you'll be popular among the women. If you just had eyes that were bigger, just had a smaller nose, if your hair was cut in a certain way, if you just got this style of hair, you'd be more desirable to men. If you would just look like this, you won't be hurt, you won't be rejected, you won't be alone, you will know lasting intimacy and true love, you will be important and pure if you would just have these external attributes. These are all things that a sinful heart craves. All of us, even men, can identify with these sinful cravings. But we know that these, these messages, they're all lies. Physical beauty does not ensure happiness, fulfillment, or success as Christians, especially as Christian women. Our attitude is, who cares? how the world defines beauty. Who cares what unbelieving people say about beauty? Who cares even what Christian men, some Christian men, how they define beauty? We need, we need to be Protestants. We need to protest. We need to rebel against our culture, our society, and even our Christian culture. We need to to rally around and say, we only care what God says is beautiful what God says is precious and God reveals what he considers beautiful in 1 Peter 3 1 through 6 look at this it, it parallels Titus 2 perfectly because it's all about for the cause of the gospel have these attributes have these characteristics where the gospel is at stake. Likewise in Titus 2, likewise in 1 Peter 3, it's not about us. It's not about whether we are accepted or liked or not. Have these traits for Christ's truth. Verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives. This goes for unbelieving wives, unbelieving husbands. If your parents are unbelievers, if your siblings are unbelievers, co-workers are unbelievers, neighbors are unbelievers, this strategy works when they see the conduct of your lives. When they see, verse 2, your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good. If you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Look at verse 2. The first conduct befitting a godly woman for the cause of the gospel is respectful behavior towards their husband, towards those in authority. Especially if he is undeserving of the fact. The more 
your husband, your dad, your boss, or your leader, anyone, is undeserving of that respect. And you as a woman, give him respect. Gospel is that much more honored. It becomes more powerful for the cause of Christ. Showing respect by your countenance, by your attitude. You know, I see this with Elizabeth. You know, she's not here today, so I can talk about her. And she doesn't know how to get on our website to listen to MP3, so it's okay. <laughs> Nobody tell her after she grows up, okay? But I see this. I, I, I teach her, I instruct her, I discipline her. And I see disrespect by her eyes. Sometimes, I don't know who taught her this. She's three years old. When she was three, she started rolling her eyes at me. Right? And she thinks, I won't notice. Right? We correct rolling her eyes. Even how she says, right? she kind of has a little breath under her yes. That's her disrespect, rebelliousness towards me. Right? You see that? That's how we can and we do show disrespect to those who are over us. But if we show true respect... serves the gospel. Barbara Hughes said this in one of her books. My deepest regrets are for the times when I failed the Lord by not being a respectable, respectful and submissive helper to my husband. My greatest joys have been the direct results of living in accordance with God's plan for me as a woman made in His image equal but different. 25 years ago, I asked myself, what is my goal as a wife? What I decided that day remains the same today. One day, I want to hear God say to my husband, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's all I want to hear. Nothing of praise towards me if my Lord can praise my husband, that will be my joy. As Kent's helper in this life, those words will be my joy. Peter goes on, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, pure conduct, hagnas, same root as hagias, where we get the word holy, a sanctified life. So instead of pursuing external beauty, pursue respecting your husband and pursue living a holy life. Teach the young women to be pure, chaste, virtuous, sexually faithful to their husbands. He's talking about working on the inside. Teach women to adorn their hearts, to be virtuous and godly on the inside. And then he contrasts what not to pursue. Verse 3, Do not let your adorning be merely external. This is not a categorical prohibition of, of clothing and nice clothing and dressing and, and cosmetics. The force here is relative. 
Same as in John 6.27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Christ is not forbidding work for food. He's saying do not just work for food. Do not merely work for food. You need to work for food, but more importantly, work for food that leads to eternal life. Likewise with women. Do not just work for things adorned external but adorn your heart. Adorn your heart. The word adorn is cosmeo, from where we get the word cosmetics. It has to do with how a woman prepares herself. It means basically to arrange, to put in order, to make ready. So he is saying a woman is to make herself ready. It is not a command prohibiting her to enhance her beauty. Peter recognizes and God recognizes that women are beautiful externally. It is not wrong for them to try to exhibit and increase their beauty. No biblical warn here for women to neglect their appearance or to conceal their beauty or to become untidy or tacky. There is no virtue in being sloppy, messy, or dressing poorly. A woman... When a woman comes to, comes to fellowship, there needs to be preparation involved. A woman should prepare herself externally for worship. But the idea is one of priority and emphasis. Three clauses follow this prohibition of emphasizing outward adornment. Peter points out three specific areas of temptation for women. The braiding of hair this elaborate and labor-intensive process of braiding one's hair so that it stands out and becomes a distraction in the context of fellowship. Placing such priority and importance to one's hair. So for guys, I don't know, probably the most expensive haircut I've ever gotten was maybe $15. And felt so guilty afterwards. But for guys, let's say we want to get the most expensive haircut possible, probably maxed out at $17.50, right? $40 maybe. I think it's a $40 haircut. Man, it better look good. <laughs> better improve your looks. Um, so very few are getting $4 haircuts in our church. A joke, by the way. Um, women, there's no end, right? Women, there is no end. How much money you can spend on your hair? A couple hundred? Maybe a thousand dollars on a haircut for a woman? It's possible. Alright. Peter said, Don't pursue that. Don't pursue that. Wearing of gold, practice of placing various golden objects, chains, rings, bracelets around the neck, wrist, arms, ankles, ears, nose, fingers, hair, head and toes. Women put jewelry wherever they can. Alright. I mean just to show to stand out, set apart. Peter says, that should not be your focus. Putting on of clothing, talking about fine, expensive clothing, also many dresses. Putting on, on of action, indicates the practice of appearing in a great variety of dresses. A display of personal vanity. You know, Cornerstone is definitely 
upper middle class, very trendy, very stylish. I heard a brother say, I know people, I've never seen them in the same, same outfit. Right. Guys, he has one outfit. <laughs> That's all I've ever seen, man. Some, I've been at this church for two years. I've ne- never seen that person wearing the same dress twice. Right. How important is external beauty to you? How high a priority is this area to you? your makeup, your clothes. How much time do you spend? How much money do you spend? I mean, how much energy do you spend in this area? I do a time log this week. Just log how many times you think about, you worry about, you browse through catalogs, you go on websites, you go window shopping, you observe other women's clothing and hairstyles and makeup all for this. The godly woman, her focus is that she adorns the hidden person of the heart. Isn't that beautiful? Ungodly women, it's, it's lavish. It's glaring. It's obvious. A godly woman, her focus, the part of her life, part of her character that is hidden. It's the inner person, hidden person. It's not flaunted before the whole world. It's seen in glimpses to a few. It is seen fully only by God who sees what men cannot see. First Samuel 7. This is the real beauty. It is seen in glimpses in these two character traits. A GQ woman. Gentle and quiet spirit. Right? GQ woman. Gentle and quiet spirit. You notice, you notice about her, just a gentleness about her, a meekness, mild, soft, gentle. The world says, if you are meek, then you are weak. Well, Christ was meek. He was gentle. He was not weak. He was strong. Matthew eleven twenty nine. He said, "Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me." For I am gentle and humble in heart. Matthew 5, 5 Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Ephesians 4, 2 Walk in a manner worthy with all humility and gentleness. Colossians 3, 12 On then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, put on the clothings, clothing of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience gentleness is beautiful in God's sight a woman who's not self-willed pushy selfishly assertive forceful a woman who is gentle and meek precious in God's sight the cue is quiet spirit quiet disposition Contrasted to a noisy, boisterous attitude. Right. She's someone who's calm, brings peace, brings faith. I mean, you know, I see this, you know, gosh. 
several weeks ago at the store. I don't watch the show. It's on, so I watch. I see the show Cops. Like 70% of their cases involve domestic violence. And so these guys go in and break up fights. And then they, it's like embarrassing, sad. And they, you find a husband and wife or a couple, boyfriend and girlfriend fighting. And the guy's all wrong. He should go to jail. I saw this woman. She was boisterous. She was loud, argumentative. I mean, she was just disrupting her environment in front of her husband and children. A godly woman. It's not it's not responding that way. She's not full of anger and bitterness. She's not full of fear and anxiety. She's not easily alarmed. Her faith is not easily shaken. She has a quiet spirit because she has true faith in God. She believes in God. She has no fear of submitting to her husband or any authority because her confidence is in the Lord and in His promise. And what's the result? Oh, I love this. Don't you love this, women? Imperishable beauty. Imperishable beauty. She is beautiful to God, beautiful to God's people, and her beauty is not subject to corruption. Does not go in style or out of style. Throughout history, culture, time, it transcends all these things. This beauty is eternal and it's always beautiful. And so it tells you, any woman can be beautiful, very precious to God and to God's people. Imperishable, imperishable beauty can be yours by cultivating the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. We've met women like this, haven't we? We have such women at our church. They're just beautiful. They're delightful. They bring joy to everyone. They bring joy to God, joy to the church. Right? They bring God with them the sweetness of God into every fellowship. Right? Everyone has clamor time. They want the, the moment where because she's so beautiful in God's sight and to God's church. Very precious. Right? Such women, no matter what the world might say, is beautiful in the sight of God. Well, are you a RPGQ women, right? Respectful, pure, gentle, and quiet women. Let me ask you some questions. I don't know where I got this from. I'll give credit to I guess, uh, Caroline Mohaney or Barbara Hughes or Nancy DeMoss. I don't know, but a heart check. Some questions that she asks. Do you spend more time caring for your personal appearance than Bible study? And prayer? Is there anything about your appearance that you want to change that you're obsessed about? Do you spend excessive money on clothes, hair, and makeup? Or is it a sensible amount? Is it a reasonable amount? Like your stage of life, your age, your income? Right? 
your, your status in life? Is it reasonable? Or is it, is it not? Are you jealous of the appearance of others? Do you want to lose weight to feel better about yourself? Or do you desire self-discipline for the glory of God? Do you covet the wardrobe of others? Or do you genuinely rejoice when other women are able to afford and purchase new clothing? Are you on a quest for thinness to impress others? Or do you seek to cultivate eating habits that honor Christ? When, I, when you attend an event or activity, do you sinfully compare yourself with others? Or do you go around, how can I love others? Do you exercise to create or maintain a good fit? Or do you exercise to strengthen your body for God's service? And final question, do you ever dress immodestly with the intent of drawing attention to yourself? Or do you seek to dress in a manner that pleases pleases God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the instructions in the Word of God. We thank you for practical, detailed, specific instructions so that we are not lost as to how we are to God honor, in a God-honoring way, care and love our dear sisters in Christ, our dear younger women. Lord, we thank You for these truths. We want to, as a church, submit to Your truths. We all delight in them. We know they are Your wisdom of God. So we joyfully submit ourselves to this. We ask special grace to the older women in our midst. Lord, we understand how they carry such a heavy load. The burden is so great. Many of them are married to husbands who are busy with work and ministry. Many of them have so many responsibilities in the family, helping their husbands and and a growing family. They have responsibilities to relatives, neighbors and friends. And so... To add this, Lord, as elders we feel guilty and yet we know we're not entrusting them this ministry you have. You'll give them grace. You'll give them strength. You'll help them to do this work for your glory. Oh Lord, would you uh, grant our precious older women of our church God the heart to obey to, to lay down their lives and pour themselves out for Christ church here at Cornerstone and for the women here at Cornerstone we pray for our dear women you grant them to be humble to be respectful to grow in purity to grow in having gentle and quiet spirits that they would indeed be beautiful in your sight thank you and praise in Jesus name Amen